The reading is Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35, which can be found on page 844 of your Bibles. Starting from verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began at the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Uh, the second reading for today is from Romans chapter 5, verses uh, 1 to 11. That's page 969, excuse me, of the Pew Bibles. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. 
Good evening, everyone. My name's Ed. I'm the uh, pastor of the 7 p.m. service, and now I know where all my congregation is. It's good to be here tonight. Uh, but I, I do also have a message from the, your, your congregational pastor, James Galea. Uh, as many of you will know, last Sunday, uh, his father-in-law, Charlotte's father, died suddenly, and uh, it's been a very difficult week for them. And thank, James wants to send his thanks to those who've been praying for them, uh, particularly that we'll pray for them for this coming Thursday, the funeral. Uh, I want you to know that your pastor's wife is a great shining light in her family. Uh, she's the only Christian in her family, and she um, yeah, has held out this hope and this love in the midst of this pain. So uh, James will be preaching at that funeral at St. Thomas's, and Charlotte will be sharing a eulogy. So let's pray for the Galea family and the Yates family, Charlotte's uh, family. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that when we are in pain, you are present. We pray for your presence and your power and your loving, comforting arms to be wrapped around the Galea family and the extended Yates family. We ask that in their shock and sadness, that you would help them to reach out to you and see and feel and experience your nearness to them. Lord God, in the midst of their pain, give them hope. And uh, we pray for James as he preaches your gospel. May he hold out the power of Jesus, the resurrection and the life. And for Charlotte, as she reflects on her dad's life and gives thanks, that she would lift people's eyes beyond uh, her father and up to the Father in heaven who has given life to all. Uh, Lord God, please do uh, be very near them and comfort them all and glorify yourself through this occasion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the words, I forgive you, I forgive you, are very, very precious words to hear, especially if you find that you have a debt that you can do nothing about, or you have a relationship breakdown that you can't fix. Uh, a recent survey done by the Australian Bureau of Statistics tells me that most people in this room are familiar with the experience of living in financial debt. Uh, 74% of Australian households are in debt, and the average amount of debt that we owe is $168,000. Some of you are thinking, I wish that was all I owed, that would be brilliant, but others are thinking, that's outrageous. But on the North Shore, most debt is manageable debt, but one-third of Australian households are in way over their head, the survey suggests. They're stuck in cycles of, of, of crippling debt. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you're in that. You'll definitely know someone who is. And you'll have seen the power of financial debt to just cripple a person, to infect and invade every interaction, every transaction, every part of their life. So imagine how precious these words would be if Mr. MasterCard called up and said, is that you, uh, Mr. John Citizen? I'd love you to know, we forgive you. Have a great day. Maybe financial debt is not your thing. Maybe you're more familiar with relational breakdown. We've all been on the wrong side of, of an argument, haven't we? A, a friendship that is that you think will never be the same again because that stupid thing you've done or that that silly comment that you made. 
or a relationship that, that was already on the rocks and, and you think you've shipwrecked it by your bad choice. So you've done everything you can. You've, you've left seven voicemails. You've flooded their phone with text messages. You've got a, a letter in the post to them, flowers at their door. You've done everything you can. And then the phone rings and it's them. And you pick up the phone and they say, I forgive you. Friends, when Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary, it was God's way of calling up the world and saying to you and to me, I forgive you. Those three most precious, precious words that we so desperately need to hear. And tonight we're going to be thinking about how at one moment, God in Jesus Christ forgave all your spiritual debt that you owed him. How at one moment, God in Jesus Christ cancelled the record of all your wrongs. How at one moment, God in Jesus Christ reconciled you to himself and he brought peace between you and his Father, peace through his blood shed on the cross. We're in our second to last week of our series, At One Moment, looking at the death of Jesus and what he accomplished for us on the cross. And tonight we're going to be thinking about how Jesus' death is our ransom. He paid our ransom, paid our debt to God. And how in Jesus' death, he reconciled us and restored our relationship with God. We can do all that under those three very precious words, I forgive you. I forgive you. The big idea that I want you to take away from this evening is that in Jesus' death, God forgives us everything. And so God wants you to live as a forgiven person, a forgiven person who forgives others and seeks for everyone else to know that wonderful forgiveness. Let's begin by thinking tonight about how the cross tells us or communicates to us our great need for forgiveness. First of, of two points is that we are indebted to God. Just before Bron read to us the story of the unmerciful servant, a parable that Jesus shared with his disciples to teach them about how having been forgiven, they ought to forgive others. And in that parable, we meet the unmerciful servant, a man with a great debt. This man owed 10,000 bags of gold. Uh, literally, Jesus said he owed 10,000 talents. A talent One single talent is about 20 years of an average laborer's wages. So if we take the uh, Australian uh, minimum wage of around $38,000 per annum, and then we times that by 20, and then times that by 10,000, what have we got, Paul, church treasurer? No, it's a lot of money, $7.5 billion this man is in debt to his king. This guy is in way, way over his head. And if you're in any doubt about who Jesus is equating in this parable with this man who's in over his head, it's you and me. We owe a great debt. Jesus taught us that our sins are like a debt that we owe to God. When he taught us about the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, he taught us to pray, forgive us our debts. You see, God, like the king in this story, is the rightful ruler of the world that he created and the lives that he gave us. 
And so it is right and fair that God would place obligations upon us for how he wants us to live in relationship with him and in relationship with others. And he wants us to be like him. And, and what is God like? He's made us for relationship. What's he like? Well, he is sinless, perfect, holy. How does he relate to others? Always in love, always in service of others. So if that's the obligation that God has placed on you and on me for how we're to live in God's world, how are you going? I'm stuffed. I'm not even your pastor, but I know that all of you are stuffed as well. We are in a lot of trouble. We have not lived the way that God has asked us to in our world. And the Bible says that that's left us in crippling cycles of unpayable spiritual debt. Now, there's two things about spiritual debt that's different to financial debt. The first one is that you can't pay it off. If today was the last day that you ever sinned, and from this day forward, you just you resolved to, to live a perfect, sinless life, all you would be doing would be starting to live the way that you were always meant to. You're not paying any of the debt down. You're just doing what you were made to do. And secondly... You don't get letters in the mail reminding you that you are in debt. No, but in God's letter, the Bible, God warns us that he is keeping track, that he knows our debts. Listen to these scary words at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 20. It's up on the screen. It tells us that at the end of times, the dead will be judged according to what they have done as recorded in the books. God is a great bookkeeper. Not a, not a petty accountant keeping track of all the ins and outs. No, God knows, sees, and understands all things. So he knows every deed you've ever done, every word you've ever said, every thought you've ever had. And it's not that he's keeping tabs on you. It's just that he knows and he's just and he will hold us to account. Jesus came to give us a loving warning, to warn us that we are utterly spiritually bankrupt. <clears throat> We're like this man owing 10,000 bags of gold, and our only hope is for God to forgive us for this debt. Now, the thing about our financial debts that we're familiar with is that they're rarely personal, aren't they? Like, I've missed a couple of ATO payments, and all I get is an email in my MyGov inbox, which I forget to check, and if it ever gets a bit further, then debt collectors get involved, but they're just being paid by an agency. Yet our debt to God is intensely personal. Every one of our sins is an affront to his desire to have a loving, committed relationship with us. And so an author of a book that we've recommended, R.C. Sproul, on the cross of Jesus Christ, tells us that sin is cosmic treason. And it's the second Part of our reason, of our need for forgiveness, is that we are enemies with God. Colossians 1.21, up on the screen above, tells us this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. Sin doesn't just put you and I out of step with God. Sin puts us on the enemy's side. So say an Australian defects to Syria to fight with ISIS. Well, even the good things they do while they're over there, maybe they've got a really great aim with a rifle and got a good arm with a grenade and maybe they help a, a wounded comrade and his family, 
but all the good things that they do are still done for the enemy. And the Bible very confrontingly tells us that if we turn from God and turn to sin, we stop serving the loving God that we're made for, and we start serving the devil, the enemy. For more on that, you can look at John chapter 8 and Jesus' heated discussion with the Jews in John chapter 8. Or take a relationship. You and I know that just one act of infidelity will rip a relationship apart. So God, when he wants to explain to his people Israel what it's like for him to love them, tells a prophet to go and marry an adulterous wife. And he says, this is what it's like for me to try and love you. Day after day, week after week, year after year, you heap unfaithfulness on me. And because God loves us, he's jealous. He's jealous for our love, and so he's rightly become angry. The Bible calls this anger God's wrath. And it's not like a, the anger of a flippant parent who just you know, loses their marble when a mistake gets made. No, God's anger is the calm, calm and steady and, and, and right anger of a husband who has held out his hand to an unfaithful wife who shunned him time and time again. And that anger must rightly fall on us because we have made ourselves God's enemies by our sin. So we're in spiritual debt over our head. Our only chance is if God's willing to cancel that debt and pay it. We're we're enemies of God because of our sin. Our only chance is if God is willing to walk across the room and hold out his hand and offer us reconciliation. And friends, in Jesus, help has arrived. We need help and help is here. When Jesus was born, an angel appeared to his father and said, you are to give him the name Jesus because the name Jesus means God saves. And through this man, God is going to save his people from their sins. And when he grew up, Jesus knew that this was the purpose of his life. And he, he stated the purpose of his life in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He said, The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let's turn our attention now to the cross of Jesus Christ and let's think about how his death pays our debts and reconciles us to God. Firstly, Jesus' death pays our debt. If our sins left us 10,000 bags of debt, 10,000 bags of gold in debt to God, well, Jesus' death was God's way of stepping forward and saying, look, I know this is ridiculous. It's completely outrageous, but, but I'm willing to cancel this debt. And not only that, but, but I'll, I'll pay for this myself. So who did he pay? One of the early church fathers suggested that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid our ransom to Satan. But that can't be the case because we don't belong to Satan. We belong to God. Everything belongs to God. Though we were taken captive by him to do his will, we still belong to God. So take, for example, if someone steals your car and the police call up and they say, we've got good news, we've located the car and we've arrested the thief. Uh, the thief has uh, requested $25,000, which is the current market value of the car. We'd like you to make that payment before we can return it. Uh, you're thinking, get stuff. Get out of here. I'm not paying him anything. And the same is true for Satan. He's a robber. 
a cheat, a liar, a thief. And he deserves nothing from God for taking us captive. The Bible's not especially clear on who Jesus made the payment to. And we'd be right to assume that it was within God as Father, Son, and Spirit that the payment was being made, that the justice was being satisfied. But whilst the question of whom Jesus paid is not clear, the question of what Jesus paid is astoundingly clear. It's up on the screen. Romans 6.23 says this, The wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve, in the very first sin that was committed, incurred this debt of death. And every sin that has ever taken place since then, including all the sins that you and I have committed, has incurred this incalculable debt to God of death. But God, knowing how utterly helpless we are to pay our debt, stepped forward and said, I'll do it. I'll pay. So looking back from the other side of life, in Revelation chapter 5, the Bible tells us that we will praise Jesus in these words. Revelation chapter 5 says this, Worthy are you, Lord Jesus Christ, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Well, this does raise the question, doesn't it, of if Jesus made this payment, how, how does one man's debt, one man's payment, make up for billions of sinners' debt? Now, the question is not a question of numerical sufficiency. It's a question of spiritual sufficiency. So Jesus, when he died to pay our debt, was a perfect sinless man. He had no debt of his own to pay. Not only that, but Jesus as the divine man is, is a man of infinite worth. And so his life more than adequately pays our price, our debt. Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 to 20 tells us this. It's up on the screen above. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This comes to our second idea of Jesus' death being that which reconciled us to God. It tells us that Jesus, through his death, reconciled us, making peace. Uh, when a relationship breaks down, you need a mediator. A mediator is a person who could fairly represent both sides. And so Jesus, in this instance, what we need, we need someone who can represent sinful man. Jesus, the Son of God, took on human flesh and became a man. We also need someone who can represent the holy God. Jesus, the eternal one, the eternal Son of God, came into our world fully God. So Jesus is the perfect man to mediate. And how does he mediate? Well, that last verse from Colossians gives us a hint, doesn't it? He mediated by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He mediated by going to the cross and taking the pain that we deserved, by standing in our place, by himself facing God's wrath, facing God's justice, facing God's judgment, facing all God's anger that should have been directed at you and at me. The best description I've ever read of this uh, was written by a woman named Joni Erickson Tata. 
uh, in a book called When God Weeps. Let me read to you this excerpt of, of Jesus standing in our place when he died on the cross. You might like to close your eyes as I read this to us and imagine what it was like for him to be there where you should have been. Somewhere during this day, an unearthly foul odour began to waft, not around Jesus' nose, but around his heart. He feels dirty. Human wickedness starts to crawl upon his spotless being, the living excrement from our souls. The apple of his father's eye turns brown with rot. His father, he must face his father like this. From heaven, the father now rouses himself like a lion disturbed, shakes his mane and roars against the shriveling remnant of a man hanging on a cross. Never has the son seen the father look at him so. Never felt even the least of his hot breath. But the roar shakes the unseen world and darkens the visible sky. The sun does not recognize these eyes. Son of man, why have you behaved so? You have cheated, lusted, stolen, gossiped, murdered, envied, hated, lied. You have cursed, robbed, overspent, overeaten, fornicated, disobeyed, embezzled and blasphemed. Oh, the duties you have shirked, the children you have abandoned. Who has ever so ignored the poor, so played the coward, so belittled my name? Have you ever held your razor tongue? What a self-righteous, pitiful drunk. You who molest young boys, peddle killer drugs, travel in cliques and mock your parents. Who gave you the boldness to rig elections, ferment revolutions, torture animals and worship demons? Does the list never end? Splitting families, raping virgins, acting smugly, playing the pimp, buying politicians, practicing exhortation, filming pornography, accepting bribes. You have burned down buildings, perfected terrorist tactics, founded false religions, traded in slaves, relishing each morsel, bragging about it all. I hate, I loathe these things in you. Disgust for everything about you consumes me. Can you not feel my wrath? Of course, the son is innocent. He's blamelessness itself. The father knows this, but the divine pair have an agreement, and the unthinkable must now take place. Jesus will be treated as if personally responsible for every sin ever committed. The father watches as his heart's treasure, the mirror image of himself, sinks drowning into raw, liquid sin. Jehovah's stored rage against humankind from every century explodes in a single direction. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? But heaven stops its ears. The sun stares up at the one who cannot, who will not, reach down or reply. The Trinity had planned it. The Son had endured it. The Spirit enabled him. The Father rejected the Son whom he loved. Jesus, the God-man from Nazareth, perished. The Father accepted his sacrifice for sin 
and was satisfied. The rescue was accomplished. Don't move too quickly from that scene. Because right there, on that cross, Jesus Christ stood in your place and faced God's wrath so that you never, ever would have to. So having been loved at such a great cost, having been forgiven at such a great cost, what does it look like, lastly, to live as forgiven people? Well, three points to close. Firstly, there is nothing left to pay. Jesus paid it all. There is no debt in your life or mine that Jesus' blood won't cover. There might be a number of us here tonight who, unbeknownst to the rest of us, carry huge financial debt that only us and Visa know about. In the same way, there will be some of us who carry around deep, deep spiritual debt that no one else knows. Perhaps you think there's something you've done that God could never forgive. Perhaps an abortion, an affair, a lie, an evasion, a decision that ruined someone else's life. It's important to say you might need to face the consequences, but you will never face God's wrath. You can give your sin to Jesus and he promises to forgive you. He says in the Bible that he has erased our spiritual debt. It says elsewhere that as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sins from us in Jesus Christ. Likewise, you need to know relationally that God is not angry with you anymore. He cannot get angry because he's already sent all his anger to the cross. He took it all out on Jesus, his son, and he is just, and he won't get angry twice at the same sin. So if you have given your sin to Jesus, God's anger has been satisfied. He's dealt with it so that he can treasure you. If your sin made you an enemy of God, well then Jesus' death makes you friends with God again. You've been reconciled. Closer than a friend, you've actually become a son. Now I use that language intentionally because the Bible says we are all sons. Sons have full inheritance rights. In the Bible, sons have all the benefits and all the privileges of approaching their father. We have gone from a slave to sin to a son in the household of God. You have been fully reconciled to God. Well, having been reconciled, secondly, be reconciled to one another. Since you've been reconciled to God, we're also expected to be reconciled with each other. Remember our second reading from Romans told us that it was while we were still enemies that Christ died for us. And so if there's someone in your life who has hurt you, with whom you need to seek reconciliation, you don't need to wait until they are repentant or or they've, they've turned around and come back to you for you to step forward to them. Remember God said it was while we were his enemies that Christ died for us. You can step forward and reach out with forgiveness And you can take the first step like God did for us. One of the ways we can do this is also by keeping short accounts. Remember in that that parable of the unmerciful servant, Jesus taught us that 
to, to relativize our debts in light of the enormous debt that we owed. So what is 100 silver coins in light of 10,000 bags of gold? But there are going to be times in your life where you feel like people owe you 1,000 bags of gold or maybe 5,000 bags of gold, and it really hurts. In those times, let the example of a woman named Corrie ten Boom inspire you. Corrie ten Boom was a Dutch Christian who found herself in a concentration camp during World War II, Ravensbrück Concentration Camp. Uh, after the war had finished, Corrie ten Boom travelled around these war-torn areas preaching about the forgiveness that God offers in Jesus Christ. At the end of one of the meetings where she was preaching, she recognised within the crowd a man who was a prison guard at Ravensbrook. After the address, he walked up to her. And he came up to her and he didn't recognise her, but she recognised him. And, and she remembered the way that she used to have to walk naked before him. And he came up to her and he said, Fräulein Tembum, I was a guard at Ravensbrook. I've become a Christian and I've experienced the forgiveness of God and I've been praying for God to give me an opportunity to ask for the forgiveness of one of my victims. Fräulein Tembum, and he held out his hand. Will you forgive me? She looked at him and she couldn't forgive him. All she could feel for him was hatred. He had hurt her and her family so much. But then she said, Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you have forgiven me a far greater debt. Thank you that you can forgive. I can't do it, but you can. And so she reached out her hand and she offered him forgiveness. And she said that as she shook his hand, she felt an ocean of God's love flow through her into him. And She said, you will never experience the love of God like when you forgive your enemies. So if you've been forgiven... Jesus says we must extend that same forgiveness to others. If you can't do it, ask God. He can and he has forgiven you. Well, lastly, having been reconciled to God and one another, we're to seek others to be reconciled to God. If today here at Church by the Bridge was a very special day and today we decided that rather than take your money from you, we're going to give money to you. We're going to pay off all your debts. It's a wonderful day here at Church by the Bridge. After the service, I'm going to be signing checks. And uh, don't tell the treasurer, uh, but we're going to pay off all your financial debts. You can take it home and write your debt there. Next Sunday, here at Church by the Bridge, the whole North Shore will be here because how wonderful. Here's a place you can get your debts paid off. Friends, a far greater debt has been paid in the death of Jesus Christ. Debts that have far more reaching consequences, debts that will reach into eternity and they can all be paid off, all wiped clean in the death of Jesus Christ. Friends, you know the best news in the world and you've got to share that. You've got to say to people, I know how you can be forgiven by God. You've just got to give your sin to Jesus. Come to church with me and find out how you can be forgiven. Come to church and find out how you can be friends with God, how you can have peace in your heart again. Come and see. Come and taste and see how good it is. Friends, God reaches out to you in the cross of Jesus Christ and he says, I forgive you. 
I have paid your ransom, paid your debts. I've I've forgotten. I've taken away all the relational damage that you did and I've reconciled you to myself, making peace with you through the cross. Friends, at one moment, Jesus, by his death, said to you and to me, I forgive you. Let's give thanks to God and pray that we would be forgiven people, forgiving others. Our Father in heaven, thank you that when we were your enemies, Christ died for us. Thank you that you walked across the room and extended your forgiveness to us. Thank you that you have cancelled our unpayable debt. Thank you that we have been forgiven. There is nothing left to pay. Jesus paid it all. And help us to live as forgiven people in the freedom that that brings. Help us forgive others as we have been forgiven. And where we can't forgive, Lord, we just come before you now and ask you to fill us with your love that we could forgive others. And Lord, knowing this best news in the world, help us to hold out this forgiveness to a world that is stuck in debt they don't know and in broken relationship that they can't fix. Lord, fill our church with people who want to come and find peace with you. In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen.